0: too my poetics like for me as a poet as someone who does engage in sound art and spoken word what I write I am also to embody through my voice
1: that was poet activist and scholar Thea Matthews I'm Jeff welcome to storied San Francisco a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Thea picks up where she left off in part one, talking about her poetry. She charts her journey through City College and UC Berkeley, and her eventual move from the Excelsior to the sunset. She reflects on the current uprising for racial and social justice. And she ends this episode by reading four poems from her book, Unearth the Flowers, which is available at greenapplebookshop.org, and most local bookstores. Thea will be giving a reading at the launch party for the book on June 27th. Please visit our website's episodes page for more info, including the Zoom link and password. Here's Thea.
0: Again, like I wasn't raised by, like there was no communication with my black family till adulthood. So we're talking like two, two and a half decades of silence, absence.
1: But well, which did you say came first? Your art, your um, involvement in punk, or just a general kind of awakening of, of politics? And, you know.
0: Poetry came first. I started writing when I was adolescent. And um, writing poetry for me has been a way to communicate the unseen, communicate what is felt internally. Um, and to have this bridge between me and you, between me and the reader. Um, Definitely art as an act of expression, art as a political act, and as a feminist, black feminist, and always even to the content of what I write about, the personal is political. Personal is always political. And so what I wrote um, initially was definitely like the feelings of like, you know, teenage angst, wanting out, you know, freedom. Uh, but a lot of it too is like always this attempt, this strive to break silence, poetry as an act to break silence and break stigma. From where I come from and with what I've been through, and then when I get to see too, right? Like I think the next tier of writing that I hope to explore would be more so of utilizing art as a way to envision something new. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely identify myself more as an observer and and an active ethnographer where I'm participating in the world, but I'm also like here to document it through poetry Um, and where I write from my experiences, from my memories, from my observations and interactions, uh, but then also too like what are the points I want to make, what are the messages. Uh, I love the Psalms you know, that is the po- like original poetry book, right? Like, mm-hmm. but like the songs, um, you know, influ- like early influences, like Shel Silverstein, you know, and as I got older, I became a little bit more sophisticated, right? And reading other works that have influenced me. And like, now, I mean, there's a whole slew of poets, but as you know, in the stages, it was like reading Sylvia Plath and Emily Dickinson, Um a little bit of T.S. Eliot, and then like reading more of like the beat poets and like Allen Ginsberg, and then getting to like Amiri Baraka, Bob Kaufman. And then when I started to enroll in Poetry for the People, that's when I really was like catapulted in the next tier of like the work of June Jordan and like black feminists of Audrey, you know, such as Audre Lorde, uh, Pat Parker. Um,
1: was that a, a city college?
0: That was, so p for p, I took that at, at UC Berkeley. I did take okay, a class where there's like Alejandro Mujeres. I guess like a lot of poets, I should probably know more. I'm sorry, I'm not always that best with like name dropping everyone that has inspired me or,
1: yeah. That's but, okay, um, it sounds like there's a lot.
0: There's so many, and thank God, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's like we're trained to only have like a forefathers or like the canon of like the small nucleus group of like 10 city white people when there's really so much diversity of experience of the voice.
1: When did you start um, reading poetry in front of people? and, And what was that experience like?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I wish I could recall my very first like open mic moment or like the time okay. I read
1: a poem out loud. But uh, they I, said you always remember your first
0: No, Right? Normally, you know, if I go enter into another dimension of life, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I remember, I remember the act of writing my first poems. Like that I'll always remember of like just the binder paper and the blue ink. And like, I think it was in the evening. Yeah, I do remember writing my first poem and sort of saying my like reciting my poem aloud. I started doing that when I was a teenager and then took some time off. Like, so for a few years, I was part of Writers' Corps and where I was a peer educator and also active in the literary arts community as a youth, where I would deliver poems in multiple events, at multiple events. That was really beautiful and that was cool. And the largest crowd was a packed house in the women's building. Uh, It was my very first publication. I was part of an anthology, City of One, uh, that Writer's Corps put out, and that was awesome. That was, oh, my God, I remember being, like, so nervous. And, yeah, definitely there was doubt. There was this fear, you know, like where I would feel, like, the voice uh, shake and rattle. Um, As I got older, it's much more easier for me. I think because as I get older, I'm like, I don't care. And it's actually quite cathartic. Um, and also too, my poetics, like for me as a poet, as someone who does engage in sound art and spoken word, what I write, I am also to embody through my voice. And so, so much of my endeavors as of now has been, have what I say be poem on the page, just as potent as it is with me speaking. Cause I know that this is powerful. You know, I'm grateful to speak. I'm grateful that um, the words I say like, shit dude, it's so funny. Like getting hella biblical with it of like, you know, was it the gospel of Matthew or John where it's like in the beginning there was the word. And it's like the word, you know, the word does have power. And um, to embody the poem, that has been really much a spiritual experience, at times can almost feel selfish in a sense because it's so so much of a release. It's this uh, reciprocal exchange, right? Between the poet and the audience. And it's also an offering and a gift. And I say selfishness only to the extent of like, how much it benefits me, where I hope it benefits you. But I know for a fact, this is like movement to say a poem, with intensity, um, or to embody the slick movements, or like to play around with tonality and intentionality of each word. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and vulnerability. I mean, you said it's gotten easier. Do you still? Do you still feel that vulnerability when you perform your poems?
0: I do. I can get sometimes nervous. I mean, yeah, vulnerability is interesting. I love Brene Brown, right? Where like she's courage over comfort. Or vulnerability is that strength, is that willingness to walk through fear, to be in that arena. And it's empowering. You know, so much of what I do as I engage in my craft, taking on the identity as a writer, as a poet, I validate myself. I validate the experiences. I affirm and bear witness to my own testimony, right? Same thing with like saying it out loud. It's like, yes, there's a sense of trust but it's just, I don't know, it's kind of just diving into the pool. Like, you can't just think about it, but then you just, the time just goes by and you never got your ass in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. You just just dive in, but I don't think too much about it anymore. And it's, um, you know, sometimes if I feel like the content is off a little bit from the theme of the event, you know, whatever, right? But like, it is um, something where it's like, look inside like that's part of the offering That's part of the responsibility of the artist is like here look like here here this because mm-hmm. then afterwards i'm just buzzing i'm like <laughs> oh yes
1: yes and then you're right back at it the next day or the next week <laughs> doing it again <laughs> we, we've we kind of. Uh, I guess, touched on here and there, like City College, Berkeley. If you want to go into you know, more detail about your experiences at, at either of those places, or, or coming back. Did, I did you move over to Berkeley when you
0: moved? I didn't, no, I commuted, which okay. was a long-ass commute, like three yeah. or four days a week. Yeah. Um, but I can talk about, too, like as a black queer woman, does nothing too, I, queer. Mm, you know, um, as a black queer woman in San Francisco, it's interesting, um, in a sense where stepping into these identities, right? Like these, or like taking more ownership of like, what does it mean? Like, I say who I am and this is what I portray, uh how does the world see me you know um and you know when i've been arrested for political demonstrations they just put black you know they don't want to get like are you black and latin are you you know there's there's no question like it's just like you're black you know it's kind of just like this is off um and yeah i don't know maybe i don't have really much to say i was thinking of like i don't have any crucial like I mean, I guess I do, because yeah, you said something positive, and it's funny. Um, when I have my fro out, we'll see, tomorrow i plan on having my fro out, uh, the compliments are endless. It's like, yes, white folks can gawk of like, oh my God, that's, you know, you know, I'll get like some stupid comments. I was like, is that your real hair? Or, you know, is that a wig? You know, just like, where is your filter? You know? Um, but I, if anything, I do get a lot of affirmation of my beauty, and that's been like for the, like the last four or five years, like since I've gone natural, like since I've dismantled this internalized Euro aesthetic uh, of beauty. What am I trying to say here? Like that, yeah, Eurocentric aesthetic of beauty. Once I dismantle that and like claim, like, okay, this is all of me. I like I felt like the world was like, yes, girl, about time. <laughs>
1: We've been waiting you know, for Like, it.
0: welcome, come, like, you gay. Like, yes. It was, yeah. Um
1: and, Was there anything about your experience? I didn't see you commuted, but like anything about your experience at Berkeley that um I like going back again to what I was calling that contrast of like, you know, being over there, even though it's still the bay, it's it's different. Um And then coming back here, um, obviously you don't live in the Excelsior anymore. Like, you know, what was that part of your life like?
0: I don't, yeah, so Berkeley was different. I mean, Berkeley I transferred in and it was like, honestly, like my nose in the books, like for two years straight. I did work on a paper, like a lot of it, I came out more of speaking to the Me Too movement and looking into transformative justice measures in regards to how communities of color approach child sexual abuse as a social problem mm-hmm. as a survivor of incest, like that was what I was geared towards as well like and that is what excited me, but like yeah, I mean, that is a big campus. you see Berkeley, you know, I've gone to some lectures where 200 plus students and you count the black people on one hand present, and so yeah, it was pretty low, you know I mean. I know I exist. I know my people exist. And it's unfortunate. There's definitely, I've gone and been part of spaces that really have been, I have honored Black people, Black and Brown people. But I've also gotten used to, like, all right, like the army of one today. Mm. You know, especially living in the sunset. Fuck, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, literally army of one. And when I see a Black person, I'm like, You know, but I know we are out here though. I know we exist. I know that Black people are in the future and this faith gives me comfort and a sense of calmness. Certain times, don't get me wrong, I will definitely feel agitated, you know, angry, that like, how am I the only one in this conference room right now? You know, how am I the only one in this lecture hall? Right. Uh, It is painful. At the same time, there's a sense of faith of the unseen, right, where there's something spiritual of like, I know I'm not the only one. And um, a lot of my politicization came at City College. First, in terms of like, looking into the fight for public education, fighting to keep CCSF accredited, that was when I dove into socialism and Trotsky and Lenin and like became political and got my feet wet with what does it take to actually organize a march? What does it take to organize teachings? The importance of education, the importance, radical education, right? For the revolution. That was like where I learned all that at City College. I love City. I wouldn't be the woman I am today if I the City College, in San Francisco, hands down. And then. 2013 hit, 2013, 2014, right? So the breaking point for me, when I said enough is enough, uh, and mind you, it takes what it takes. I almost like, it doesn't matter. But like for me, like my antennas went up the murder of Michael Brown Jr. You know, it was around the time with Trayvon Martin, I've heard of Oscar Grant. And Oscar Grant was done in the bag, fucking Fruitvale. Right. But the footage too, I don't know, something with the story, you know, it just, we all have our entry points. Right. We all have, I don't even know if I can fully explain it, right? But like, someone will have that, like, where it really struck that chord in my heart. I was like, oh no. Like, oh no. And then, you know, George Floyd is not the first black man to say, I can't breathe on camera. So Eric Gardner, that was when, and then, of course, right, these police officers weren't acquitted, or they weren't, but I forget the language. Basically, they weren't, there was no justice served. That was like, okay, whoa. And the beautiful thing of students, right? Like students lead the revolution. Students, like student-run movements are the most powerful, powerful. Mm-hmm. And so as an undergrad, what, we're, like, what we were able to do was one, resuscitate a black student union on campus right? Create a haven, create the sense of like space to bring in community to like lock arms with allies, with, P- with other POC folks and to say, okay, well, we are BSU. What are we to do, okay. right? What are our demands? What are we striving for? What could we create with the resources we have? The students have resources and they have numbers, like there's-, and there's strength in numbers, <laughs> right? So it's like moking the institution, but also like finding radical, like-minded individuals, and then also, too, students with their teachers and advisors. Um, like, it's not just students out of nowhere, right? It takes so much. It's like, everyone
1: has a part. And so, it's like yeah. lear- learning from the, the earlier generations, our, our elders, but then taking that and-
0: Carrying on, yeah. Doing the,
1: doing the fight, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was at City College? Sorry. That was... Yeah, that was at City okay. College. Okay.
0: And so, black students, So the CCSF BSU, you know, we were part of organizations that helped run, like, Millions March um, at San Francisco, or, okay. and were part of other, like, demonstrations. And so that was really awesome, you know, in terms of, like, taking a stand and joining and being part of, actively being part of Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then things got a little quiet, you know, a few years pass, as time does. Yeah. You know, we have a little pacifier, so to speak. Not really, but you know, and just, just wait for it, you know, and we have 45 coming in, mm-hmm. okay. building momentum. Mm-hmm. And then now here we are with national global uprisings, and it is absolutely glorious.
1: And like you said, a lot of it is, a lot of it is led by kids.
0: Students, I wouldn't call them kids, like young adults. Students. Youth. I mean, kids in a sense, you're right, right? And honestly, though, like when you see like an 85 year old, they'll call you a kid. Right. So a kid is arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: You know, for, like the youth, um, like the Xennials, you know, are just like, we had it. And like.
1: Is know, that the name, Xennials?
0: Yeah, well, I'm saying Xennials. But yes, yeah, like the Generation Z is out right now. We're I heard
1: almost, Z. I never heard Zennials. <laughs> I like that. Because <laughs> I'm always like, well, what are, what are we? Anyway.
0: Yeah, the Zennials. I mean, we have the millennials that were like, eh. I mean, we tight. We good, you know? But of course, it's like that next generation. I'm like, it's never ending. And so it's like, and I think too, no matter what the age is, we can be part of, we can be of youth and we can be also the elders. You know, like, it's that wisdom acquired and it's the service of helping each other and yeah it is often student run and just the coordination and communication right now is just on point i mean of course we're humans so of course best believe there are flaws and mistakes and shits coming out sideways here and there but overall what a wild time to be alive
1: I'd like to hear your thoughts on, or I guess your hopes, for for what's next.
0: Ooh, that's, thank you. My hope is that we don't stop, that we keep on with this marathon, don't treat it like a sprint, but treat it like a marathon, and keep our eyes on the prize for abolition we're done with reform, we demand abolition of the hyper-militarized police state, of orange men playing dictators, of systemic structural racism that permeates the family to schools, all institutions really. Yeah. That's simple. I mean, of course if we can make it complex, right? How are we gonna get there? What do we need to arm ourselves with? How do we then like disband and defund the police in all these different cities? And you know, cause we are, we are in a civil war and it may, there may be more bloodshed and it may get worse before it gets better. Like I said, like abolishing what no longer serves us and completely redefine and reconstruct the trusted servants in our communities. That's what I really hope for, right? Of justice and starting anew. How do we start anew, right? Because we're just relying upon a system that is inherently flawed, inherently racist. No matter what we try to mask it with, it is not meant to serve all of us. Same goes for the electoral college. Same goes for the constitution. Mm -hmm. I love the United States. I'm grateful to be born here. I am so grateful to be here with, and there's challenges, right? There are definitely challenges, um, but that goes to everywhere. You know, this is where I'm at. So what can I do to be of service, right? I mean, you have Alex um, Walker's quote, right? Like the price of rent I paid to live on this earth is activism. Oh, actually, I want to say it verbatim. I just like (laughs) dyslexic paraphrased it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It still sounded good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, but she says, quote unquote, like activism is my rank for living on the planet, right? And so the (laughs) activism, you know, is what we do. It's like, what can we do to keep mama earth all right and to, treat each other with respect, like how it's that simple, but yet it's tough because there's fear, there's greed, there's emotions, right? There's like this greed, in my opinion, capitalism, hello. Um, And so for me and what many black feminists and what comes to mind too is Toni K. Bambara of like how revolution starts at home, actually Fanon too, revolution starts within. So. What I hope too is that many of us continue on with this marathon, looking at our own lives individually and how we interact with others one-on-one. Because as an activist, I've had to be checked. Oh, have I had to be humbled by how I treat others, right? What am I doing um, that could be unjust you know, with how I speak? what i say you know if i'm gonna demand demand accountability from police then who's gonna keep me accountable too right like so it's just like shifting and changing the language where we stop policing each other but we call each other in for accountability
1: before we wrap do you want to read any more poetry
0: always Thank you. I still, th- I feel bad. I-
1: Can we hear something that you, because ha- I heard a little bit on pitch Talk, uh, anything that you have on f- uh, flowers?
0: Yeah. Let's hear something yeah. flowers. Thank you. And you know, like, I feel like I talk better with poetry. I'll be right back. I'll get the book. Okay. It is available for pre-order now. Uh, the official publication date is June 20th.
1: How do people find it?
0: You can search for it at Green Apple. You can oh. contact your local bookstore. It is available on Bookshop and like, yeah. I would just say like it's it comes out and it is available. Um, awesome.
1: You said Green apple You you had me at Green Apple.
0: Okay. Great. Cool. Gazania. Oh yeah. I alone extinguish that raptorial yearning. To taste butter on tongue rub honey between fingers tangerine lips pucker up for a kiss when planted in full sun when dresses silhouette the galaxy of my body among sequined stars rhinestone laughter i open when planted in full sun flow of ocean i exceed the price of elephant tusk fresh waters bow continents offer ripe oranges and cinnamon to boil the bones of who stole my mother's body azalea do not underestimate my power i am woman the divine feminine my time is now i barricade the drilled wells once punctured into my womb. I excavate each hook oil pipeline once pierced inside me. My skin, the cerise, my body, these petals cannot be stretched any further by despotic hands. My water is sacred, my love is pure despite contamination and abuse. I fought to live, now live to thrive. Do not underestimate my power i am woman fuchsia this is this poem closes the collection oh yeah i'll close with the last poem or no i'll read you the last poem and then i'll read you the prelude so fuchsia believe me my cracked lips and stained tongue a burning stomach and a no backbone bedroom did not deter the swift life of endurance, the remembrance of sweetness, of survival. Hummingbirds came once I tasted my tears, yet sometimes I still close my eyes to the sun. I see the glaring red of my florid skin, swollen inside, irritated, infected from pesticides, the warmth of invasion of his cold fingers inside. I cry, growl, slice arteries with teeth. I wrestle with the treachery of men until I twirl prayers into beads of nectar, break the hex of hatred, ground the betrayal into fertile land. I grow from the whispers of shh, don't tell nobody, fingers over lips, today my mouth like legs rests wide open believe me he knew someone would and then this one's the prelude yeah on earth the abuse repetition of bruising the spirit the silence two o'clock in the morning the mother in silence the memories of a child The child, mother, stolen. The generations like weeds ossified. The apathy of those already dead with a pulse. The time said once more, shh, don't tell nobody. The refusal to believe me when I tried to speak. The suffering of seeking vengeance. The vengeance to kill. The rage inflaming my body. The truth on my lips. The screams in the back of my throat, the cries trapped in my teeth, the tongue clipped. Now we groan. Unearth the flowers.
1: That was Thea Matthews. Please join us tomorrow when we'll be talking with Season 2, Episode 49 storyteller Chloe Jackman about current issues. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can now browse more than 120 episodes that we've done over the last three years. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you see an option to rate and review what we do, we'd really appreciate it. And if you have any feedback or people you think should be on the podcast, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy.